This is the Chirp with Darren Millard. Uh, Brett Hall, we, I knew what he would do on a breakaway. Top glove all, all day long. You'd know what Al McGinnis would do from love to shoot stick side. And then when he stepped in top of the circles, he's going upstairs. Matt Sundin, I, I recall one game, I told him, Matt Sundin, breakaway, Ricky, I'm telling you, backhand deke. He's going to do it every time. Matt's had two breakaways in the second period and scored both times on backhand deke. We're getting Gretzky, and sure enough, a number of days later, Wayne appeared on the scene. First training camp, there were more reporters at our training camp than the Stanley Cup final. Even in those little sound bites, you wouldn't have any trouble arguing that he's recognized as one of the most lethal goalies in the game, able to cut you before you realize there's any danger. He's a former New York Islander and a Stanley Cup champion. But I'm not talking about Hockey Hall of Famer Billy Smith on this occasion but rather Glenn Healy. Four teams as an NHL player. In broadcasting, Glenn worked for both big sports networks in Canada, not to mention his significant time with CBC and Hockey Night in Canada. Battling Billy used his stick to do the damage. Glenn relies on his quick wit. Healy's future in broadcasting was foreshadowed thanks to one of the first player-hosted segments inside a game that he co-hosted during his Islander days. When he entered broadcasting for good, Healy pulled no punches. Not with the players in the games that he called, or his new teammates. You see, off the air, Glenn can be merciless. But he's hardly ever mean. When he is, he's up front that he probably doesn't like you, and everybody thus knows where they stand. Like the way I spoke of PJ Stock and John Garrett earlier on The Chirp with Darren Millard, Glenn is a dedicated teammate but he also enjoys taking a path less traveled, making things his own. I didn't work with him often, but on those occasions that I did, he was uber-researched and prepared. And if there wasn't a need for that information on the show that night, like a dull trade deadline, Glenn would lean on his real strength, and that is entertaining. He has worked with the Players Association. He is now a few years into doing some incredible things with the NHL Alumni Association. He has this ability to be biting, supportive, strong-willed, and yet always be at the front of the line to say hi. So much so that it got me wondering as I was leading up to this episode, might someday Glenn Healy make a good politician? Because he can be all things to everyone. Little did I know that he's been down that road, or at least the political vehicle drove up to his front door, and you will not believe who is at the wheel. Here's Glenn Healy, goalie, good guy, and a damn fine broadcaster on The Chirp with Darren Millard. Y'all ready for this? That's a clown question, bro. Just let him drop the puck. With Glenn Healy, can you state your uh, your name and your title, please? Full name. Uh, no, I'm pleading the fifth. I, I'm not able to give you that information. I can either confirm nor deny that it is Glenn Healy. <laughs> Executive Director of the NHL Alumni and bagpiper extraordinaire. At least I self-proclaimed as that. But yes, it's the real deal. Does it say extraordinaire on your card? I'm live with you, Darren. This is great. Good times. Back like the old days. You know, I was thinking about our conversation and where it was going to go and all the different things that you've done from your hockey career and then post-career. You you ever think about getting into politics? Uh, yes. In fact... Um, was poached a number of years back. I got a phone call from Jim Flaherty, who was the finance minister, and he, he asked me to come up to a, a golf course north of Pickering. He wanted to talk to me, and I said, oh, okay, well, you know, Jim's good people, and I like him, and we've had great conversations before. I'll, go, I'll join him. And as I went up to the golf course, there were a number of black SUVs, and I thought to myself, rather strange. Uh, am I getting arrested by the FBI, or what? what, what? is really going on here and it was Flaherty and Harper and they were trying to get me to run in this region as an MP um, and laid out what what the duties would have been how many weeks in Ottawa what uh, what I would need to do to, to to do the job and we had a young family at the time and I just thought that timing was not right but it's it, the door's been knocked on a few times and I have not answered it, which maybe is a good thing, considering what we have going on down south. So you are the the uh, former player, and you're in a room with a prime minister. Yeah, uh, and a bunch of big guys with guns. So 
<laughs> pretty, pretty much an intimidating scene. Uh, but Flaherty and I, you know, we went way back. We were uh, together. We, we helped to build with Ken Shaw the Ability Center, which is a great facility in Whitby. Uh, when Jim won his campaigns, I would hide in the Legion kitchen until we found out that he'd actually won, which was it's a slam dunk. He's going to win every time. And then out I would come and bagpipe him out into uh, a room full of friends and family. Uh, so, you know, we went way back for many, many years, and he's just good people. Christine Elliott as well, great people, did so much for this community. And so uh, they uh, they came knocking, and I just failed to answer. What was what was the pitch to you? What would the prime minister say to you? Do you remember any? Well, yeah, I think what you know in in the past when they were running elections, it would be basically you take this big pot of money and you you go across the country and you try to win as many as you can. Instead, I, I think what they were looking at here was like we know if we get this guy to run in this area, he can win, and then that will give us uh, a little more of a stronghold on the future of what government would look like. But, you know, a call to duty, make a difference for communities, make a difference for people. All the things that you, you do, and you, you certainly don't get into politics to get rich. Uh, it's it's a commitment, and you're, you're putting yourself all out there, and you're committed to everybody else but yourself. So and I think that was more the pitch. I just, you know, being away for 28 weeks in Ottawa and having to travel back and forth, just our family life wasn't right where... At some point, you know, when you, you, you basically, your family commits everything to you to, to play hockey. It's all you. It's nothing about family. You first. And so when I left the game, I thought it's time to give back to them. And giving back to them would not have been spending half of a year in Ottawa uh, in, in the commons and listening to politicians. So chose to go a different path. And that seems to be okay for now. I won't harp on this, but... You've been in dressing rooms, rooms with the greatest hockey players the world has ever seen. What was what? Can you compare that to being in a room with the prime minister and he's recruiting you? Was was that intimidating? No, in fact, he was just normal. He was normal in in every way. Very a very casual conversation. Maybe it's the relationship I had with Jim, where uh, him and I were were close. That it just was smooth. It wasn't like you stepped into a room and thought. I better watch what I say. Um, certainly had to watch what I was doing with my hands, that's for sure. <laughs> because, again, a lot of people with guns in the room. So, uh, But, no, it was a very casual conversation and, and like a dressing room. It was like we were sitting talking to two teammates, and, and they were trying to get us to go in a certain direction, and I just wasn't going. Harper's a hockey fan. Did, did he ask you for your autograph or you being a Canadian citizen with the prime minister? Did you, did yeah, you get anything no. from him? No, no. And in fact, uh, with the pipe band, we, we actually have uh, piped him into many a different occasion, which uh, is kind of neat, too. I, I think pipe band got a bigger kick out of it. They thought that was just fantastic. But yeah, he's, uh, you know, he was a, a staple in this area for many, many years. And so anytime he would show up in Durham region, uh, he knew he had a pipe band to, to play him in. So, um, but uh, yeah, just he's just a normal guy, hockey fan. I can recall one game in Ottawa as a playoff game. He was going to attend the game, and they put you know the white towels on every single chair, yeah. every chair. So whatever that building holds, eighteen plus thousand, and every single chair had a white towel on it for when the team would come out, except one, the prime minister's. Yeah, he didn't quite get a white towel, so you could kind of understand and know right from the start. I think that's where he's sitting. Yep, that's where he sat. You would notice something like that. Well. I had lots of time to kill, right, um, between the benches and really don't really feel like talking to Pierre Maguire, so <laughs> I was paying attention to things like that. Uh, well, you know me. I have, to keep of, my, uh, I have to keep my employment options open, so I'm not going to go down the, uh, the, okay. the, the Pierre, uh, Pierre route right now. Uh, yeah, but, but, I, I paid attention to things like that versus <laughs> conversation. Uh, when, was the, what was the last time, uh, when was the last time you asked for an autograph or got one? Oh boy, you know, I very few, uh, and and in some ways I wish I paid more attention to stuff like this because, you know, it, you, you're right. I mean, your journey's thirty plus years long, and so you run into some pretty good characters. I've got a Belleville signed sweater. I've got a Bobby Orr signed picture, and a Gretzky signed picture, and a Gordie Howe signed card. That's pretty much it. Um, not much. A lot of low hanging fruit there, eh? No, I, I went for the big guns. You know, uh, Kiprios, I didn't bother with him and uh, didn't really bother with uh, too many other of those guys. Um, I've got a, a great signed uh, picture of the entire pipe band when we played with Paul McCartney where he signed it to the to the whole band. 
And other than that, uh, it's very little stuff that I uh, gathered and mustered and collected. It was just those are the big guys. Those are the ones that are royalty in our game. And so I decided to grab the big guys. Your career went from L.A. to the uh, to the Islanders. And then from the Islanders, there was that weird period of time through an expansion draft where you were picked up by, by Anaheim and then uh, you were traded to Tampa? Well, what, what uh, basically went down through that period of time was um, the, uh, the, the expansion draft happened. I was picked up by Anaheim. And then on day two, the teams that had an expansion the year before – uh, Tampa got to pick one player that was picked in the expansion draft, and they picked me and then traded me to the Rangers. So a rather strange time for me because at the time we had just gone to the Final Four. We had beaten Pittsburgh, and uh, the Islander team was up and coming. A lot of young guys and certainly a great successful year under Al Arbor. And uh, I recall I was a free agent at the end of the year, and Pat Latley went to the owners um, and basically wrote on a napkin my contract demands. And the owner crumpled it up and threw it at me. And at that point, uh, I knew my time with the Islanders would probably be up. And so it ended up with the arch rival New York Rangers. And so the Islander fans thought I was Benedict Arnold, and it took the Ranger fans the time to embrace me because I played with the Islanders. So strange time. And all of this went down while uh, about seven of us went to Ireland on a vacation. And this is pre-cell phone. And so... We were on the west coast of Ireland in Connemara County, no cell phone. I had been picked up an expansion draft, picked up on day two, traded to another team, and nobody could get a hold of me because we had no cell phones and we had no phone at the house. And so I'm sure the Rangers and Anaheim and Tampa all thought I was a 14-carat you-know-what because they're trying to call me, and I'm not calling anyone back because I don't have a phone. I'm not getting any messages and actually didn't even know that it was gone to three different teams. Did the owner really crumple up the napkin and throw it at yeah. you? Yeah, maybe I should have stopped it. If I stopped it, he might have met my contract demands. But yeah, it's uh, Pat Flatley and I to this day joke about it. But it was, and it was a, it wasn't a, uh, an outrageous ask. It was actually half of what the Rangers paid me. But um, these guys uh, clearly weren't interested in any more of watching Glenn Healy play that for the New York Islanders. So everything happens for a reason, and that was a pretty good reason to go to the Rangers and win a Stanley Cup. Now, were you guys out for dinner at that at that negotiation? Was that one that, that went back and forth, or do I have some that mixed up with something no, else? No, no, team dinner. Uh, we were celebrating. A oh, was that a team dinner? Year. Yeah, we were in, uh, oh. in in Long Island. The whole team was there, and we had an Italian place, and uh, very festive, you know, getting to the Final Four, beating the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had Lemieux and were a dynasty, and you know, everything was celebratory uh, until Flats wrote my contract demands on a napkin, and then it was it, it, it kind of deflated at that point. But uh, the whole team was there, and we continue to this day to joke about that crumpled napkin and what could have been. But at that point, uh, it was clear my, my days with the Islanders were done. Why was he negotiating for you? Have you met Pat Flatley? I, I have, yes. Yeah, there you go. See, yeah. he, he's got his hands in every pot. Um, he works. I just don't know what he does, but he's in he's in everything. And uh, Flats is one of the best of all time, one of the best teammates I've ever had. But he was uh, he was in one of those rare spirited moods. Uh, and for those that don't know Flats, um, he's Irish, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem Pat has is sometimes he's a little too Irish, and then you can read between the lines. <laughs> but what I mean by that, so at that particular night, he was just a little too Irish. However, uh, yeah, things happen for a reason, and and the Rangers were calling, and it turned out to to be a thirty five pound trophy lifted over my head, and 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 about ten months later, the so two, I'll, I'll take that any day. The two of you guys did the heels and flats show uh, on Sports Channel, I think. Um, but it's even worse than that, Darren. Worse. Wait, oh yeah? It was actually, it was actually the first intermission piece of our games. So, the entertainment value of our games was so low. <laughs> that heels and flats was the first intermission piece. And yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm praying for the days they don't appear on the internet. Uh, it was a uh, terribly bad show that got great reviews by the Islander fans, which tells you a lot there. No, no, you, and, you're selling yourself short because I remember it. And at the time, uh, you may look back and, and think that it was goofy, but it was, it was good. It was cutting edge and it, it showed a side of players that we, we just didn't get, get exposed to it was neat 
But I you know, guys did our, it. Our competition was Stan Fischler, so we, we clearly could finish first here. But, yeah, it was uh, certainly different. And, uh, and I got more fan mail about the Heels and Flash show than I ever got about playing. So what does that tell you? Did you I ever get into trouble goalie. doing it? I thought I was a host or something. But uh, good times, good times. And, uh, oh, boy, years later, you look back on those and think, did I really say that out loud? Oh, boy, yeah, that wasn't very good. Did you get into trouble when you, when you guys were doing it at no. all? No. no, no, gosh. I mean, there was, there was no... Uh, uh, I think you said it best. People were just looking for something, something different. And that's what that show provided. Uh, and, um, you know, to this day, people still come up and talk about that show. And I have no idea why they remembered it. But we actually, on Saturday night, the Islander owner invited Pat and I to his box. And um, Shirelli Najak, you know, I saw that in yep. Canada. He uh, decided to dig up an old episode and put. Uh, Heels and flats on the on the show on the Saturday night, and in typical form, I talked about great tradition and great teammates and great leaders. And Pat then proceeded to assault me verbally. So it, nothing has changed. And took all the airtime with with yeah. Kyle, like he talked Just the whole time. Full blown assault. Yeah. However, good, good times, and uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, they're buried in the archives. Okay, so you you were there when Gretzky went to L.A. Yep. Did you fully? Im- Brace all of that, or were you skeptical at the time? Well, I can recall uh, Bob McKenzie. Uh, we we were on a Saturday. I was there's only one place to get food and meat and Pickering, and I happened to be at this M M&M and M meat shop in Pickering. Bob McKenzie was there. He asked me that day if I was going to go down for the press conference, and I said to him, "What press conference are you talking about? Because you're getting Gretzky." I honestly, at that point, thought. He had, it was early in the morning, but I, I thought we should cut him off. He's had too much to drink. We're getting Gretzky. I mean, we, we're dancing around the league in yellow pants and yellow sweaters. We're not getting Gretzky. And sure enough, a number of days later, Wayne appeared on the scene. He was traded to the L.A. Kings. And at first training camp, there were more reporters at our training camp than the Stanley Cup final. And I sat beside him in the dressing room, and I spent the entire training camp telling reporters to get off my equipment. Would you please stop standing on my goal pads? Please. You that, that, would have been a jerk during that, too. Like, oh, just terrible. Just a, just a tyrant. But, uh, we, yeah, we had more reporters there. The team, obviously, uh, the, the, you know, the sweaters were changed. The Meet the Kings night was in Beverly Hills. And uh, I can recall pulling up. It was Lyle Fair, Paul Gay, myself, and Paul Fenton, who now is the general manager of, of Minnesota, we pulled up in my black Ford Escort, which I had in L.A. with no air conditioning. And all the paparazzi was there, and I could hear the pictures getting taken. And then I could hear them say, who are those guys? Well, we're kind of players on the team. But they had Neil Diamond at the, uh, at the Meet the Kings. They had Ronald Reagan. They had John Candy. They had Paul Anka. Uh, it was just a who's who. The, their game for the L.A. Kings totally changed. Went from no sellouts to every game sold out. And uh, the team that you had to watch. So... He changed the fate of our team, and that year we, we beat Edmonton in his first year. They were the Stanley Cup champs the year before with him, and uh, everything was different for the L.A. Kings from that moment on. Did you have to take him under your wing to show him the ropes and how things worked with the L.A. Kings organization? Uh, yeah, I was kind of his mentor. I was, it was like Shazam. Remember that show? Yeah, yes, yes. Driving around in the Winnebago. I, I was that guy. But not a chance. <laughs> the, uh, the only role I had that year was to make sure that he didn't score in practice. Because if he did score in practice, then Charlie the Civ, Glenn Healy, would be off the team. That much power. So if I could stop him, then he might keep me around for a little bit. And and it was it was a great year. I, I can recall the, the moment they announced him. They announced each player, and, and he was obviously 99, so he's the last guy to get announced. And they went through his records, and just the crowd, it just the, the energy, the the applause mounted as each record was now, most goals, most assists, most points, most, most everything. And uh, then he stepped onto the ice, and the forum was electric. So in a lot of ways, you know, uh, a lot of players, you know, there were 900 that played in the NHL last year. But that expansion south would not have happened without Wayne going to L.A. and then having a team or an all-star game next week in San Jose and teams in Florida and Tampa Bay and Anaheim, all those teams that we were talking about before, it gave me a chance to continue my career to play for – 16 years on all of that through Gretz going down south and turning an L.A. Kings team that averaged about 9,000 to averaging where you couldn't get a seat. 
No, you're not shy with a comment. Would you? Would you be Kim? Chirp him? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it's he's just one of the guys. He might be the greatest of all time, but he is uh, one of the guys. And in fact, uh, when we played with him with the Rangers later on, uh, it was always great because you know not many people wanted to sit beside him on a flight. Yeah, it's the great one, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Darren Langdon from yes. from uh, Deer Lake, Newfoundland. Langer and him. They sat beside each other each flight, and um, it was quite the, the piece of entertainment listening to Darren Langdon. Like, Beacom would be an understatement. They just it didn't stop the whole flight, and the two of them were, were the odd couple in every way. But, uh, but he's one of the guys. He's a player. You know, you look back to what he did in 92 when he, he turned the game around with player likeness and, and where we started to make some real dollars and the Player Association became real. And 25 years later, he's doing the same thing for the alumni with us, turning it around for us. So he's a, he's a genuine person. So you've, you've played on, I mean, you had the moment with the Kings. You had that incredible run with the Islanders at the end and played for Al Arbor. Then you had Mike Keenan with, with the Rangers and won a Stanley Cup and Pat Quinn with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Curtis as your partner. Big moments, big, I mean, you never played on a really I guess there was the odd bad team, but you had some some really solid moments at every stop. Yeah, and they were all 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 big cities, right? Uh, yeah. There wasn't one Carolina or Tampa Bay. It, all of them were were big metropolises, and all of them had big expectations. The Rangers, we hadn't seen a Stanley Cup champ in three generations, not three decades, generations, and. So that was obviously great, the Stanley Cup parade, millions of people lining the streets on Broadway. What would have really been fulfilling is my goal was to do the same thing in Toronto, where we've had three generations that haven't seen a championship there. That would have been real special. But uh, all of those those spots, the expectation was always high. You were expected to win. Um, And it made the journey a lot more fruitful, for sure. What was the difference between Pat, Mike, and Al? Uh, I would say that... Al was the best of all of them. Uh, he was, you know, like a father figure to you. He knew when to put his arm around you when you were down, and he knew when to stick his foot right up your ass when you were a little bit too high. He understood his bench. He knew his players. He knew when to push the right buttons with players. He understood what players were, were going in the right direction on any particular night. He understood when he needed to pick players up. He had a presence when he walked into a room you sat and you listened and you believed each of the words that came out of his mouth. Uh, he was a genuine person in every way and uh, one of the best people that I'd met on this planet. Uh, I would say Mike was a lot different. Um, we'd try to push athletes to see what their limits were. Sometimes he just didn't understand what limits were uh, and really crossed the line in a lot of ways. Uh, with, you, with you? Lo- uh, not so much with me um, because I, I think he, you know, he's going to get it back. He gave it to yeah. me, uh, and so I. But I do think he he picked on certain people in certain ways, and maybe crossed the line. And, and but you know, by that same token, it takes a certain player to play for him. And if you look at his history, a lot of guys, and Seth and the toes in the world, played for him in almost every stop because they could. Steve Larmers, they could play for him. It just he. It was a different type of coach, uh, but you can't deny the fact that it was the best year that Brian Leach had the best year that Mike Richter had, the best year that Adam Graves had, and it was the best year the Rangers had with a Stanley Cup championship at the end of it. So he, he was that kind of guy who maybe it's a, it's a short-term fix. It's a not a long-term coach. You're not having him like Al was on the aisle for 20 years. It just it, You're going to run out of rope at some point. And then, you know, you, you look at a, a, a Pat Quinn, he had that same presence that Al had when he walked into a room. Not an X's and O's guy, but a great orator, a great guy for giving a speech. You know, I can recall many times he would, especially with history and war, he would go into big speeches about the British box plus one and how that won a war and, and you know, the 1800s, and he would go through this whole big, uh, you know, uh, dissertation about the British box plus one, and then we'd leave the meeting and the Russians would all come up to me and go, what the hell is a British box plus one? Yeah, so they didn't quite get the same speech, but Al, uh, they all had a presence for sure, and uh, and that's the reason they won as much as they did. But Al was simply the best. I think he's the best coach that's ever coached. Was Mike more aware of you, or are you aware of him? Him as far as these joustings matches. 
Uh, no, he, I was just in the way. I was white noise. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, he would go around the room and accost people left, right, and center and get to me. And I hadn't played in a month at times and uh, asked me what the next five games were. And, of course, I'd know and tell him. And then he would tell me to shut up. So, okay. You asked me what the games were, I told you. Now you want me to shut up. All right, let's move on. There, there's a story about you having to run to the rink in cowboy boots. Yeah, that was a rather stupid moment in my life. I uh, decided for one, once and one time only that we had a uh, one-game road trip, and I thought I would wear cowboy boots in it and had a suit that I bought in Oshawa from a manufacturer there. Uh, and the bridges were shut in New York because of ice falling, and so traffic was at an absolute standstill. So I had to run probably close to 30 blocks to get to the rink to try to get there in time in my cowboy boots Got to the rink, full lather, full-blown sweat, uh, and then full-blown shin sprints, uh, shin splints, um, totally exhausted, praying that I didn't have to play, which I didn't that night. And then, lo and behold, had to travel to Long Island for a game the next day. And uh, my suit, because it was so cheaply made, and it was, it was, I sweat, and then it dried, it shrunk. So I was in Long Island the next game with a suit that didn't fit me with my arms sticking out of the sleeves and my pants that were too short. Very proud moment, Darren, in my career. Very proud. When you went from the island, you went from taking a team to the conference final and then you were you were helping Mike Richter. What was that transition like? And Because not a lot of guys can do that from one year to the next. Well, we didn't have a goalie coach. It was him and I. We were it. Really? So uh, there was him and I to rely on each other. Uh, Mike was just a, such a talented goaltender, but really didn't pay much attention to shooters and what tendencies were. And, and so I would help him with that part of it, uh, you know, because that's all I did. I didn't have the talent, so I had to find ways to, to use that kind of knowledge of players to cheat. Can you think of an example there where you would help him out? Oh, Matt Sundin. I, I recall one game I told him, Matt Sundin, breakaway, Ricky, I'm telling you, Backhand deke. He's going to do it every time. Okay, got it, Heels. Yep. Uh, at, at that point, Matt's had two breakaways in the second period and scored both times on backhand deke. And after the second, Mike looked at me and said, who had those breakaways? <laughs> I don't know, six-foot-six guy who's blonde, who's the captain, <laughs> who we talked about before the game? That guy. Who did the same move twice, that same move we talked about before the game. So uh, it, we, we had to rely on each other. And uh, break down tape and, and, uh, and kind of you know, use each other as sounding boards. So, you know, great, great uh, goaltending partner. Uh, to this day, we get along great. You know, Cujo had the same relationship in Toronto. Same thing in Toronto. We didn't have a goalie coach. We had to rely on each other. And so, you know, in some ways, we didn't have one guy looking over top of us and, and feeling like, the you know, one coach to breathe down the neck of two goalies. We were just two goalies that had to stick together and figure this stuff out. And we did. Would they give you advice too? And would you be like, because they they were just so, such natural athletes, right? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for us is that, you know, for me, I, it was later in my career. I was older. I wanted a championship. That's, you know, that's the thing. You, you start your career, you just want to make it. And then when you make it, well, you want to make some money. That's a pretty good start too. And then you, you get that under your belt and you want to win a cup. And that's kind of where I was at when I was with the Rangers and when I was with the Leafs, and then you get one cup when you want to win two, right? Cause that really can set you apart from guys that win one. There's, there's not, not many to get a chance to win one, but if you do get one, that's great. Two is just certainly special. So your focus changes. And then later on in your career, I went from thinking about retirement, you know, beginning of each season to my last year with Toronto, I would actually think about it during the game. Uh, shift by shift. This is it for me. Really? <laughs> Oh, yeah, you get to the end, you're, you're like milk. You just can't drink anymore. It's gone sour. Uh, I was 40 when I retired and, and certainly was done physically at that point. So, yeah, you would uh, you'd get to the point where during games, uh can recall one San Jose drubbing. They absolutely smoked a 7-2. I was sure at the end of the second I was just going to hang the gear up and say, that's it, I'm, I'm done. But I hung in it for uh, another couple months, and, and then the career came to an end at that, at that point. Well, Bobrovsky went and had a shower the other day after leaving the game, so it didn't really work out as well for him yeah, either. Can can happen um, every once in a while. Every once in a while. 
when have you ever been um, in a in a pulled situation? I, I see the guys tap the pads all the time now. Um, I I just I, I'm surprised at that. Yeah, well, with Mike Keenan, you were pulled three, four times a game. Right. So it was like a highway going back and forth between the two goalies. Uh, it was uh, that was a different animal than I've ever experienced with any coach. But yeah, you know, get, getting pulled. I mean, there there are reasons to do it. There there are times I I think in a game when it's just not going for you, and you know it. And, you know, you'll give up a goal, and you'll look towards a coach and say, "You know, please get, just get me out of here." Uh, you know it's coming. There are other times in games where. It, it, the, the move is made based on, look, at our team stinks. We don't have anything going. We need to change something for change, and it's going to be the goalie. So you've got to bite on that one. Uh, but there, there's maybe one time in my career where I was taken out of a game where I was surprised. And shocking, Mike Keenan was the guy who, who did it. But for the most part, um, you, knew, you knew it was coming, right? The pink slip's coming. You know it because you almost want it to come because it's just not going for you. You can't have a perfect day all the time, and particularly in, in net, when your mistakes end up on the scoreboard, you don't get perfect days would a lot you, of times. Would you feel bad if, if Richter was taken out and, and maybe didn't deserve it? Would you look at Mike and go, are you kidding? Or, or, oh, yeah, or, no, we had or one Pat game on with the Cujo? Island, uh, yeah. Yep, that, uh, that I absolutely lost everything and throwing a helmet and the cameras caught it. Um, you know, pretty much you could read my lips. and it, I wasn't asking where he bought his tie, I can tell you that. So, uh, and that was all caught. And yeah, to this day, people talk about that tantrum I pulled. <laughs> hey, uh, you play with passion, you play with emotion. And sometimes that passion overtakes common sense. But yeah, the, the, there were that moment in Long Island, it certainly wasn't a proud one for me. And I hope the kids don't get to see the tape because reading lips is something pretty easy when the words are pretty clear. What, uh, what was the best part of your game? Uh, I would say that... You, I, I, what was between my ears you had to use the most. You know, I'm not 6'7", you know, I was 5'8". You know, I wasn't the, the most fit person, so okay, these guys that are great athletes, they've got this athleticism. Mike Richter would be that way. He just has incredible athleticism. And so, you know, I needed an intangible side of the ledger to, to, to have me stick around and play. And so when you're missing the talent quotient of of your game and you're missing where you know the the odds of the puck hitting you because you're big that gets in the way you've got to find something that keeps you around and so I would pay close attention to everything from who changed the color of their tape on their stick okay well that guy's clearly struggling why would you change the color of your tape more than likely on a two-on-one he's going to shoot because his game's not going well what do teams do on power plays just paying close attention to players' tendencies so that you had a one-up on a player. Uh, Brett Hall, we, I knew what he would do on a breakaway. Uh, you would what would he pay, do? Uh, he's top glove all, all day long. You'd know what Al McGinnis would do from the point. You know, he had a 100-mile-an-hour shot. Loved to shoot stick side. And then Hawk and Lube or Joey Mullen would put the rebound in because you, you could stop it, but you couldn't control the rebound. But... You, you knew that's where it was going, so hey, go stand on that side of the net. It's going to hit you. And uh, when he stepped in top of the circles, he's going upstairs. So get your hands up and get your eyes closed because that's where he's going to go. And if it hits you, it's probably going to hurt. Uh, so you had to pay attention to that stuff. Otherwise, you didn't survive. And so for me, that was my survival. What? Uh, who drove you nuts out there? Because you being a chirper, uh, somebody had to give it back to you and, and, and enjoy that. Matthew Barnaby would probably be, um, you know, my biggest battle. Uh, we, we actually were, we are called, uh, Brian Burke was the, the, the master of decision-making back then, and he basically called us to the table and said, enough, it really? just comes to an end. It, it, it was getting bad because it was, you know, at one point there were, he was threatening me, and I said, well, it's going to be tough to get me because I'm not going to go play in the minors like he is, and that's probably not a nice thing. To is this in the media the or is this on the ice? Oh yes, we we carried it on in the media. We had it on on the ice. Uh, you know, you didn't hear whistles when you know, it was offside, and you know, the puck would be shot 14 minutes after the uh, whistle had blown. There was there was all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff with with Matthew. But and to this day, we're probably real close friends, and we laugh about it. Really, Adam Graves was another one who, uh, on on a, a night by night basis, would would threaten to kill me, 
and I would stop and say, like, dead? Like, I'm dead? This is my last day on the planet today, so I should make plans. Uh, and then when I went to the Rangers, he was the first one that moved me into my uh, my new place. And we're best of friends to this day. So, yeah, that's, there's a lot that happens on the ice, as you know, that uh, goes unrecorded, unannounced, and there are some of the great stories for today. People might be surprised at how intense you were, those that didn't get to see behind the curtain because they see this jovial, this fun, this uh, this smiley guy that's done what one he was such a great teammate and you and you were a great teammate. You were a great teammate with me, uh, and then but but the competitive side might surprise some people. You had to, and um, uh, one of the gentlemen who works with me with the alumni and was a trainer for thirty years with the league and the Leafs. Um, his nickname is Head Case Healy. So you, <laughs> that's <doesn't> all. <laughs> uh, game days were not were not pleasant. Uh, did take things a little bit too serious sometimes. Uh, non game days, perfect. Good guy to hang around with. Let's go get a libation. Uh, games when I didn't play, not a great time to go spend some time and sit down. You know, uh, you know some of the non game days, some of the battles verbally between Ty Domi and myself are are worth the price of admission. Uh, Days that I played, eh, not so much. A uh, little bit more focus on the task at hand. Would Ty try and get in your head on those days? Oh, he's, he's, I mean, hard, you can't not get in his head. You've seen the size of it? You get lost so, in there, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we were back and forth. I'd have my large Vente Starbucks coffee, and he'd have his Frappe Lappe or whatever he had, and, and we'd be going back and forth. And uh, it's uh, to this day, we, we still do it. And you know, now not so much the Vente coffee. Uh, it's yeah. something else. Yeah. yeah. Read between the lines. The uh, Why didn't you wear a, a mask? Tried desperately. Had every manufacturer make me one. The, just the way the, the mask fit on your face, the pressure on those custom-made masks was all down the sides of your face. Mm-hmm. And the uh, helmet, the pressure is more on the top of your head as the helmet fits around. Uh, uh, you know, Clearly, uh, looking back on it now, uh, there's a reason I've got 400 stitches. Uh, every time I got hit, I would it would basically be like a screw explosion where you'd need seven stitches to get it fixed. And, uh, you know, not the best helmet in the world. It goes into a hockey bag with sweat and heat and pressure and squash down and loses its ability to protect you. At the end of my career, I did manage to get a one that was a Kevlar one that was exactly what I was wearing, but I just never could get used to what where the mask and how it felt on my head. So chose to go in the, the lousy direction and wear a helmet that probably I shouldn't have wore. Would you change anything that, that happened to you, That any decisions that you made? No, I don't think so. I, I look back at, uh, you know, decisions that I made in my career that, you know, for me, they turned out to be okay, right? They were made for a particular reason. There was a reason I chose to sign with the Leafs and not Montreal. Had a good chance to sign with Montreal. I was actually in the dressing room talking to the coaches when we were thinking about announcing a press conference and talked to my agent, and he said, get out, you sign with the Leafs. That was uncomfortable. So you were in Montreal? I was actually in the coach's office with all the coaches and the general manager. The time was Ray Jean Ouel, and we were talking about signing there. We had done a a site visit. We had met Dr. Mulder to do a physical. And when I called my agent to, to say it was going really good, and I think this is a great spot, it, at that point on the phone, he told me, get out. Really? Right with Toronto. Very uncomfortable. But no, I don't think I would have changed much of anything. Uh, we, You know, the path was, was a great one. Good journey. Good way to, to do your craft, make a living, have fun, great teammates, win a championship. And uh, and, you know, get, get to avoid having a job for basically your entire life. How, how good could that not be? It's great. Who's your favorite partner? Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. You know, kind of Ferrari, Lamborghini, it's the same. So it's Mike Rector and it's Curtis Joseph. How about when you were the starter? Who supported it? Did, it, did you have any conflicts? Or Because John Garrett talked about how Greg Millen got him traded from Hartford because they just didn't get along. Yeah, no, we really haven't. Uh, you know, when I was in L.A., they, they had two older goaltenders, Bob Janisak and Darren Elliott. And, you know, Bobby at that point, I, I don't know if it's you get older and you get afraid of the puck, but not many goalies are afraid of the puck, but I, I thought he was one of them. <laughs> um, 
So it, that that was different, but they knew that you know times were changing. The team was going to go younger. Islanders, uh, same thing. I mean, you know, we had Mark Fitzpatrick, but Mark got sick. Uh, he had uh, some some issue, and so had to step away from the team. So, you know, I had a whole host of other partners. Uh, Noodles was one of my partners for a short period of time, but you know, he was so young and still cutting his teeth, so it, there wasn't any of that friction. But you know, to get to go to the Rangers, the, the one thing I did know is that. If you want to win a championship, I wasn't going to win it with the Islanders. They just weren't good enough. They were great. I mean, uh, and I at the time thought they were. But when I got to the Rangers in that first practice, I can recall saying to my wife, this team could win a championship. They are that good. And to, to do that, you sometimes have to take a back seat, and it can't be your show. You, you, you can't have the net to yourself all the time. And that was the, my focus. It might have to take a lesser role. Uh, but they'll put your name on the Stanley Cup and they'll stand there forever. And that was my focus at that point. And then Toronto, uh, you're, you're looking at, you know, an older goaltender who knows his, I'm on the back nine of my career. I just don't know what hole I'm on. And for probably three of those years, I was on the 19th and just wasn't, <laughs> the objects in the mirror were closer than you they appear. And But I wasn't given up on our dream to win a championship there. So, I was pretty aware of where I was in my career. Do you think being a good guy kept you in the league? Uh, well, if you're a bad guy, you don't stick around very long unless you're damn talented. Right. And I certainly was missing that. So yeah, you, you make know, fun if, of yourself, but you were a, you were a good goalie. Yeah, but if you have it, you know, honestly, if you if you're in a locker room, there's a dynamic, and that dynamic, you've got to add something to that locker room. And if you're a backup, there's a role to play. Whether it's talking to guys on the bench between shifts. Uh, being a, a leader, a motivator, uh, keeping things on track. If you've got a coach who's maniacal, which you might know one who I play mm-hmm. for, and you, you had to provide lots of different roles. You might be a psychologist one day, but you're starting goalie the next day, and then on the bench you're acting as a coach. So you, there's lots of roles you play, and if you're on a team and you know, you're, you're a bad apple, then uh, you're, the dressing room sometimes is better without you in it doesn't necessarily have to be a dressing room full of the most talented people. It's got to be full of the, the best people that fit their roles and, and can play within a team structure. And so, yeah, maybe I provided that. Maybe that kept me around a lot longer and should have. Uh, but, you know, but you can't make excuses for it. You are what you are. You're doing the alumni now. You're, you're running the alumni. Uh, what's, what challenge is that like or present compared to being a player, being a part of the union, all that? Well, I think um, – our mission statement is this, honor the past. Every day that my feet hit the ground, that's what I'm out to do. And every player retires. Every player, every player. I, uh, the guys you're going to watch tonight, they will retire. I'd like for Sydney to retire tonight. That would be great to have him as part of our family tomorrow. But that's not happening. Uh, you're so selfish. Retires. Yes, thank you very much. So not everybody transitions the right way. And so for me, there are players that fall through the cracks and, well, we, you know, we know the stories and those players need help and they need some guidance and they need me to be there to, to make sure that they get right back on the trolley and things get right for them. You know, there's lots of things that we do. We do licensing. We do sponsorship. We put, you know, 350 players in a video game so you could play Wayne Gretzky on a line with McDavid and, or I could put Mark Messier on a line with Mario Lemieux. I mean, those things can happen today that didn't happen before. You know, I've got an alumni-only hockey card set. We've got an alumni whiskey uh, deal where we've got LaFleur and Wendell Clark and, uh, and Lanny McDonald on the first batch of whiskey, which is limited. So there's lots of different things that we do, but the biggest proponent of, of what we're doing is to honor the past. You're on video game covers, like two of them. Or three uh, of them. Three, actually. You didn't Sorry. do the homework. Sorry. I, yeah, so. The one I can't really tell, it's you. Well, uh, the, yeah, it wasn't the two-pad stack from 91. Really yeah. didn't do me justice. Kind of looks a little Alan Bester-like. But, yeah, the uh, those games have come a long way. The you and Gretzky are the only two that have been on three uh, video game covers. Uh, you know, maybe it was a, I was a pretty good union guy, and they figured, well, <laughs> I, I think he got like three grand to get on the, the cover. Or maybe they just thought he needs the money. One or the other. Um, I'm happy to be on them. And, uh, you know, like video games, uh, certainly I can recall when they first came out with those and, and thought, well, that's crazy. Who'd want to play with these? <laughs> eh, sorry. <laughs> Wrong answer. How about a lot of people? Uh, but, yeah. Yep, so, uh, 
And, and you know, it's funny when you've got the 350 guys, I've, I've had a bunch of guys call me and say, you know, it's really not my face. It's somebody else. And my response is, yeah, but he's better looking than you. Wouldn't you want to just keep that? People call you and say that? Oh, yeah, we've had a couple. Yeah, they're proud. They're proud that, you know, here's their yeah. kids. Uh, they they play the games, and you can play with dad in the game. I mean, that's yeah. it's kind of cool. Or or what I've done with my kids is I'll put together my team of legends, and they go ahead and play with their Stamkos and McDavid's, and good luck to you. Um, no, I'll openly admit I get beat pretty much every time. However, I still play with the older guys and let let the young kids, my kids, play with uh, the new stars of the game. I miss you between the benches. I know we, we don't want to go too far down this path, but uh, but I do miss you uh, between the benches. And I miss you know what you were you were great to me. You had the the national presence when when we started working together, and you were a couple, we did a couple of hometown hockey's and trade deadlines. You were a pain in the ass on trade deadlines, uh, oh, when, where you come down to the main panel and just start chirping, that's giving the way it to it us, be, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know if this is a compliment, or I don't know if this is a. A negative, but I, I still see people all the time, and they they they'll say, you know, yeah, I must be doing the game tonight. I haven't done a game in three years, so either they're not watching, or, or they don't know I'm off the air. Do you correct them? Because I don't. Uh, no, sometimes I don't. I mean, I, here's a great example: it was the Saturday night when I was uh, with John Ledecky from the Islanders, the owner, and it was about know, twenty to seven, and we were standing, you know, talking in the hallway right in front of his box, and. I had a glass of wine in my hand, and one of the fans walked by. I said, oh, you're just about to get ready to go between the benches. Hey, Hills. And I thought to myself, okay, number one, it's quarter to seven. Uh, <laughs> number two, I've got a glass of wine in my hand. Like, you got to go do the game with a glass of wine? Come yeah. on. So, uh, yeah, he thought I was down between the benches and going to go do the game. It was a, you know, We did that. We were the first to put that position in in 2005. And, uh, and we experimented with that during the lockout. It seemed to be a really good thing because you could get the fans closer to the game. And, uh, and so we, we adopted that as a broadcast spot. And pretty much everybody has followed suit. In fact, all the new buildings that have been built, that was built into buildings to make sure you had that location. Because really, from the bird's eye view way up high, you don't, really don't get a feeling of fear, a panic. You don't get the chirping that happens on the ice. You don't get the interaction sometimes with a coach that's panicky. And uh, that was a great location. I, I think it's sad that, um, you know, Sportsnet doesn't have it. They should have it. Uh, and most of the other stations have kept it. But I think that was a real genuine uh, way to bring the fans closer to the game. Would Pierre try and look off your notes? Uh, you know, there there were times when... You know, we would throw up a quote from, you know, Belichick. Yeah. And, you know, great quote from a bunch of coaches. And, and it was a great role in it. And, and, you know, working with Shirelli, he's a, he's a bright guy. He's, a, he's our, one of the top producers in all of the sport. And four whistles later, you wouldn't believe it, but the exact same quote from the exact same coaches would come up on another network. Like, we were all thinking the same thing. It's amazing how that happens. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there was... Uh, there were some piracy laws that were being broken. I can't prove it, but there was. I wanna, However, I'm going to let you go on this one. Uh, Shirelli Najak, who you've mentioned on a couple of occasions, I see you guys as kindred spirits. He was the, he was the producer, director. He was executive uh, producer of Hockey Night in Canada for a while, but it, the truck is where he's, he's our Yoda. Uh, I just see you guys working so well together because you're both creative and different, but yet professional. I would take it one step further and say we're, we're both totally screwed up mentally in the head, and we, we had the same demented view of things, and that's why we work so well together. But, uh, yeah, certainly some of the things um, that we put on the air when I look back on it now, uh, I kind of shake my head and, you know, probably are uh, – and Mitch Kirchner as well, who was great in the truck. I mean, we, we came up with the Loch Ness Monster when I was at TSN, which was the uh, a direct shot at Pierre Maguire when he used yeah. to do his monster for the game. But the Loch Ness Monster was the player that you've heard of but hadn't seen on any particular night. Um, <laughs> clearly a direct shot. You got, got in trouble for that, though, didn't you, at, at times? Like, oh, did, pl- yeah. Players oh, would be mad at you for that? That's okay. I don't care. Yeah, uh, There's a lot of other people getting mad at me. But, yeah, no, uh, we've had some, some great times. Hey, sports been good. And, uh, you know, the, the job I'm in now, I know on a daily basis, you make a difference for a lot of players that can't make a difference for themselves and don't have hope, don't have help. We provide that. 
And one day, um, I may find myself right back between the benches, and I don't even know if people know I disappeared for a couple years, but it could happen. You just never know. Well, when you reappear, I hope I'm the one thrown to the rink to you because that Love would be a, be a that's, big thrill. That's a deal. It was a great working with you. We, we had quite the team. And I'm sorry I abused you on those trade deadline shows, but they were long days with not a lot happening. So we had You just had walked by and go, will you guys break a trade? We, and that's what you would do. Yeah. You'd come down. Will you guys break a trade? Yeah. Yeah, it was all on you. I, I, clearly, and I Kipper. didn't quite get yeah. how the game worked. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, I think we, we were a couple things. We were authentic. Yeah. And I think we were Canadian. And I think we were entertaining. And if we follow that ace principle, and they do on any broadcast on any given night in this country, people are going to want to watch. I always thought you and Doug would end up going at it, but you guys were, were good with each other. Uh, you know what? He, he He's a lot of bluster, right? <laughs> a lot of bluster. <laughs> you know, coach. And showing up uh, to games wearing a bulletproof vest. Like, he knew everyone was out to get yeah. him. So, but <laughs> good point. Uh, we thanks were, for doing we this. We were okay. I kept you way too long, and uh, thank you from the Prime Minister down to uh, trade deadlines and everything in between. Uh, thanks for doing this, Glenn. Hey, Darren. Good stuff, pal. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. I often find myself wishing that I had confidence of certain people that I'm around. Those who aren't arrogant or narcissistic. I don't want to be that guy. But preferably, those who can walk into a room and you know, you know right away that they have something to say. And they're going to tell you, even if you don't want to hear it. Well, Glenn's like that. Again, in a significant way that makes him positive, but also very, very confident. I find myself wishing I could crank down my own give-a-crap meter to his level. It doesn't look like he ever has a worry. I'd like to have less worries in my life. And it's not just lip service to say, I hope he's back in the broadcasting game. He's really good. Very entertaining. Social media, of which Glenn is not a part of, at least not on Twitter, says he has a tendency to be negative. I would counter that Glenn is blunt. He won't hold back. And better yet, he teaches me about the game as he offers his opinion. Bluntness, confident, and also a good teammate. Glenn Healy, you are welcome here Anytime. I'm warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. So no more fan mail. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Okay, as promised, we have listener feedback. A little bit delayed, but I've been really looking forward to this part of the chirp. Uh, we receive more direct messages than there is time to actually read before the process becomes totally boring. So I've selected a few. want to thank everybody for their well wishes. We'll do this every five or six episodes. But again, we really appreciate your support as the chirp takes its initial steps. Episode number one, PJ Stock and I got into a conversation because he did a speaking engagement in Saskatchewan about salt and sand and why some places use salt on their roads to help you drive and other places use sand. And I said they use sand on the prairies because it just gets too cold. Something like that. Well, here's a flashback. For those of you who haven't had an opportunity to make it out to Western Canada, uh, a lot of, you know, we do a lot of our, uh, I guess, salting or clearing of the roads here in in quebec and ontario a lot of people places use salt yes um they're trying to be a little bit more environmentally friendly it has nothing to do with the environment the salt this what they do out west has nothing to do with the environment oh i thought they use stone out west sand uh, yeah yeah sand yeah on um, so everyone out there actually has you know cracked windshields yeah because of all the stone that gets fired up in your Windshield, and it's kind of like a common thing. To it has nothing to do with the environment. Why they use sand? You yes, know, of course it does. No, it doesn't. You know, you know why they don't use salt? Well, I know animals like to come and lick it on the side of the highway. Well, that's, that's true too. But what, true. what happens when you put salt down on, on well, snow and ice? It melts the snow and ice. Right, and out west, it doesn't have any time to to run off or go anywhere because it's it's minus fifty. And what does that, as soon as the salt's gone, it freezes. And now you've got a worse problem. That's, no. why, that's why they use sand. No, because sand gives you grip. I see. I, I think that the salt actually, no, no, I disagree. <laughs> so, well, why, why wouldn't it just the snow pile on top of your rocks and have the same problem? I think the problem is, 
you're missing my point. I'm the guest. And <laughs> sorry, I think, sorry, sorry, sorry. I think the issue is, well, the salt just doesn't go away either. So it accumulates. <laughs> and uh, then there's just, then you, you don't just need a, a snow plow. You need a salt plow to come by so that it doubles it up because it also oh, looks like snow. You, you are so a beauty. So you have a, a snow plow and a snow, uh, you have to pay someone to do the snow plow and the salt plow. And, and the animals could come to the side of the road. You're, you might you're right about that. An official answer came into the chirp. And this is from Hanson underscore RJ in Winnipeg. Salt only works to about minus 10 Celsius. So hence they use sand out here, the prairies, because it's so freaking cold. Didn't quite say frickin', but that's from Ron Hansen uh, in Winnipeg. Thank you for your feedback. He loves the chirp, and uh, any Manitoban is a buddy of mine. So, PJ, I think I was closer to the truth there uh, than you were. I don't know where he got that, but uh, here's another email. Hey, Darren, just listen to the chirp with Pronger. Number one, love the music at the end, as well as the intro and the outros you do. Seriously awesome work. Number two, Jeremy Roenick would be a great guest. He is on our list. Number three, I've been a Chicago fan since I was in grade eight with Chelly, JR, Eddie, Dominic, I guess he means Hasek, uh, et cetera, et cetera, swept in the finals by the Penguins. I'm not asking or begging, but I would love to get the puck with Pronger's signature on it. I can make a charitable donation to your or his charity of choice. That, if that would work, much love. Thanks for your time. And that's Ryan. Ryan, I will forward that on to one Chris Pronger. Uh, this is direct message came in a while ago. Hey, Darren, big fan of the chirp. I'm a single full-time father to a five-year-old boy living in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. So happy that you enjoy this beautiful province as well. I have a summer cottage in, uh, in Prince Edward Island. My family spends a couple of months at. My son's mother passed away January of 2017. She suffered from mental illness majority of her life, and she ended up taking her life due to the suffering. He includes an article about how she positively uh, touched people's lives. Perhaps sometime in the future, you could have someone on your podcast speaking of mental health in hockey. Thanks. Keep up the great work. That's Mark Cudmore, a.k.a. at QMJHL underscore fanhouse. Yeah, there's a couple of people doing some great work on the mental health side of things in hockey. Uh, Lift the Mask uh, is one uh, on that campaign, as well as Corey Hirsch, and we will definitely uh, touch on that. It's very close to my own heart couple of things I would be interested in hearing Darren's opinion on, if he has one. This is coming in from Trapinski, at Trapinski. Lundquist for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes, no-brainer. Olympic champion, world champion, face of the game, New York City, handle all the pressure. Great, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, we'll go down as one of the all-time greats. Finished development versus AHL, OHL, ECHL, etc. development. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the Finnish system and how they focus on certain parts of the game. We'll get more into that, uh, hopefully, and we'll, I'd love to have Jarmo Kekalainen on because, one, his story is fantastic. If you've ever seen uh, his hometown where he, where he lives in the summer, it's really, really a cool place and just describe the, the parts of uh, the chirp that we, that we tend to go down, those certain paths that sometimes don't have anything to do with hockey. Jarmo Kekalainen is a really cool dude, and the way he took... Uh, the approach to having that uh, number three overall pick a couple of years ago, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, instead of Pujarvi, was, was that was just staring into it as a Finnish general manager. So I always respect him for that. So, uh, yeah, we'll go down the Finnish path. Direct message. Hey, Darren, just wanted to say congratulations on the podcast. I started a sports podcast a couple of years ago card called The Chirps Podcast, at Chirps Podcast. I see, I didn't know this. Always thought that the name would be a good title for a pod. Glad to hear someone thought the same and records the podcast. He includes a couple of episodes of the old Chirp podcast, and uh, I'm going to listen to that. But Harmon, thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you had the Chirp podcast before. Uh, and we went back and forth, and he totally gave his blessing to uh, give me the name The Chirp. Uh, Bob Mellon at 30 Boston wants to know how about getting, getting Kevin Thistle on the program. Uh, Kevin was the guy that uh, took Yarmer Yager's equipment when he was uh, in Pittsburgh and was visiting his good buddy Rick Tockett and went on the ice and used Yarmer Yager's 
equipment, his gear, his helmet, uh, and everything, uh, during a, just a fun skate while Chaka was recovering from an injury, and Yager showed up to participate in a, in a drills, a couple of drills, and wanted to know where his equipment was. So Kevin Thistle, one of the gods of the golf business in Canada, we may get him on, like to get him on, but trying to nail that guy down is very, very, very difficult. That's some uh, listener feedback. Uh, again, you can send us direct messages either to the Chirp Podcast. Chirp Podcast is uh, on Twitter or at Darren Millard on Twitter, 1R in Darren. A soccer practice awaits. Uh, time to shift gears. So let the puppies out. You may have heard them barking, by the way, in the conversation with Glenn. We've got to let them out for a run and take the girls to the indoor field. Next week, we offer two options. Not quite sure where we're going to go. There's something different, totally different on the Chirp. Uh, uh, sort of a trailblazing angle but also not your traditional conversation or we could go down a path that could very well get emotional still finalizing that show the chirp is edited by chris rook produced by chris rook our thanks to envision and deanblundell.com i'm the executive producer of the chirp the reason i'm doing this is you hope you enjoy stay safe hold the door for someone And if and when you do chirp, do it with a smile.